This is How Did I Get This Far, a podcast tackling the basic skills and knowledge that we all completely missed learning. Soon enough, you'll stop having to ask yourself, how did I get this far? On this episode, wait, turns out if I want to write off my purchases and donations, I should have been taking photos of my receipts. It's time to find out, how did I do my taxes this far? Hello, my taxpayers. Today we are deducting the mystery behind taxes, and we are counting on our guest, Tyler McBroom, to help us out. Tyler is a CPA, certified public accountant, proactive tax planner, and CEO of Measured Results, a full-service accounting firm in California. He is a partner at the Global Accounting Advisors with Tony Robbins, which helps business owners make strong business decisions. He is also a member of the Forbes Finance Council, and in addition to all of that, Tyler shares his knowledge on tax, business strategies, and fundamentals of finance through social media, presentations, and the Welcome to Tax Savers University podcast. Well, you seem pretty busy, Tyler, so I'm very grateful for you to be here. Yeah, excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes, this topic is a highly requested one, uh, but special shout out to Lexi, Jillian, and Jess for being the first listeners to request taxes as an episode. Uh, But I think taxes appear so daunting yet inevitable, and I think that's why we're talking about it today. How did you find a way to not only understand taxes, but to thrive in the business? Yeah, so I, it's actually kind of grew up in the family business. My dad started his first firm when I was three months old. So uh, actually, I did a podcast episode talking about how if you grow up in the family business, you have sort of 10 years of work experience ahead of anyone who just starts or didn't. So, you know, kind of grew up in that, actually went as far away from it as I could, got my degree in creative writing and didn't want to do accounting. I thought it was super boring putting numbers in a box and I didn't want to sit behind a computer all day long. Then when I realized, uh, A, that I got tired of being broke and B, that even like marketing jobs and those kinds of things are still sitting behind a computer most of the day, I thought maybe this isn't such a bad career after all. And uh, so went back and got my master's in business and kind of went down the accounting path. The family business background and growing up in it helps me understand, I think, understand it faster. Also uh, have a natural tendency to enjoy numbers. And then getting the creative writing piece actually allowed me to marry my understanding of numbers and tax knowledge with the ability to communicate it to others in a way that's simple and understandable. And so I think that's what's led to kind of where we are now in terms of me being in a unique position to talk about taxes on social media and on podcasts and people actually, you know, sort of want to pay attention. So. Yes. Thank you for doing all of that work and preparation so that you can dumb it down for us. Very grateful. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) All right. Well, we'll start with some easy, basic terms. We're going to do some glossary games. I'm going to give you basic tax terms and you define them as simply as you possibly can. Sure. Well, the first one, and don't hate me for this, is the word taxes. So what exactly is it? What's it going to? What is it for? Do you think it's too high? What is taxes? Well, I always think it's too high, but that's why I have a job. So it's, it's a fine, fine line, right? It's a, it's a game. So taxes, when people think of taxes, they really, they just think of income taxes, but there's all kinds of taxes out there. And really what taxes are, are a piece of whatever you either buy or earn going to the government so that it can fund all the public programs they have out there, whether it's, you know, paving the roads, you know, government assistance programs or you know, sending kids to school and, you know, just all the different things that make the public world go around are funded by taxes. The common types of taxes is obviously there's the income tax 
and there's federal income tax, which is what you pay to the country, and then state income tax. Every state has a different way that it taxes people, so it varies. You see a lot of people moving to Florida and Texas right now because they don't have any state income tax. Other tax areas are that are common that you maybe are kind of hidden in your everyday life are sales tax, which is if you purchase a good, depending on where you're at, like Oregon doesn't have any sales tax, but some places charge eight, nine, 10% of the value of whatever you buy in sales tax. And then there's property tax, which is a tax based on the value of what you own. And then there's gas tax. There's all kinds of different taxes that are hidden in, you know, there's cigarette tax, alcohol tax, anywhere they can get you where you're going to spend money or going to earn money, they're going to try to get it. But when people think about their overall tax load, just because income taxes are low, like in Texas, for example, there's no state income tax, but property taxes are four times higher than most other states. If sales tax and property tax is way high, then you're taxing consumption no matter what you earn. If income taxes are high, but there's no sales tax or property taxes are low, then you're taxing what you earn, not what you spend. So it's just kind of, there's a, a broad array of different types of taxes out there. Well, that stinks. I really don't care for <laughs> there agree. being so many options and also being taxed so many places. Well, you know what? Let's switch to the opposite where it's not just about us giving away our money, but how we can kind of hold on to it when it comes to taxes. Yeah. So I know there's tax breaks, tax deductions, tax credits, tax exemptions. What exactly are those ways where we don't have to pay so much in taxes? Yeah, and that's an awesome question. And it's a common area of confusion. So the biggest thing is the deduction versus a credit. An exemption kind of works like a credit. So when I explain credit, just think of credit and exemption similar. Okay. So a deduction is it saves you tax based on your tax rate, whereas a credit is dollar for dollar. So if you have a $10,000 tax deduction and you're in a 25% tax bracket, you save $2,500. If you're in a 15% tax bracket, you save $1,500 or 15%. So it's based on the percentage of what your tax bracket is. That's a tax deduction. Gosh. A tax credit is dollar for dollar, no matter what tax bracket you're in. So if it's a $4,000 education credit, for example, that literally saves you $4,000. It's not $4,000 times your tax bracket. So credits are always better. And credits actually benefit the lower income people because let's say you have in recent tax reform, when it changed from getting a, on the exemption, you used to get a deduction. And now it's just a $2,000 exemption credit. So it used to be a $4,000 deduction in the exemption, which saved you, most people somewhere between $800 and $1,000. Now per child, it's a $2,000 credit. So they get two grand no matter what their benefit is. Mm. So deduction is multiplied by your rate, uh, your tax rate. Credit is dollar for dollar. Okay, so we talked about tax bracket. How exactly is that divided up? And do you think it makes sense, these tax brackets? As far as it making sense, I mean, that would be a great question for an economist and someone way smarter than me. <laughs> well, then I'm never covering it. Would, it would be much easier <laughs> if it was just flat across the board. But that's not the world we live in because right. the tax code is literally so thick that if you printed it out, we could stand across the room, you could fire a Colt 45 gun at me and uh, it wouldn't pierce me because it's so thick. So there's, it's, and that's not going away anytime soon. Right. So with the way that tax brackets work, 
the common misconception is that once you hit a certain bracket, that means all of your tax is taxed at that rate now. So I, I hear so many people say, well, you know, I don't want to make $250,000 because it puts me into the 30% bracket and then I lose money by making more money. That is not how it works, contrary to what is popular belief. So it's what's called a marginal tax bracket. So that means once you hit a certain bracket, you're taxed at that new rate on every additional dollar, not yeah. all of your dollars. So, so let's say for math, math sake, simplicity of math, the first $50,000 is a 10% bracket. And then the next $50,000 is a 20% bracket. So the first 50 grand, you're paying tax at 10% of that, that money. Let's say you make $70,000. In that case, you'd have 50 grand would be taxed at 10% and the 20,000, the difference in the next bracket would be taxed at the next higher rate. Gotcha. It doesn't make everything taxed at the next higher rate. So it's always better to make more money. You never want to stop making money just because, because if they, even if they tax me 40%, if I make an extra $200,000, I still got an extra 120 grand in my bank account, even though I got to pay 80 grand in tax on that. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's not like, okay, I'm making a million dollars. Now I make 200,000 more. So suddenly it makes all that for other tax higher. It doesn't work like that. So it's still better to just keep working. You know? yeah. <laughs> don't, don't turn it off. So that's the difference between marginal and other revenues. Okay. Well then, obviously we love to make money. We love to keep money. And then sometimes it goes a little wrong. So I'd love to switch to what auditing is. Um, yeah. What that looks like, who's really at risk? Because like you said, I mean, we all want money. So how exactly does that look? Yeah. So audit rates have actually been down for the last 10 years or so, they, when the big crash hit in 2008, they laid off a bunch of auditors. I don't know if that's the best business decision from a government standpoint, because those are your revenue generators really, but they laid them all off. So audit rates dropped a ton. And most people think when they think of getting audited, they think of men in black suits showing up your door and going through all, show me all your receipts. If you don't have any receipts, you owe me 50,000 bucks. Yeah. 99% of audits are what are called correspondence audits, which are just, hey, your numbers didn't tie up to what your forms say. Here's a letter in the mail. Can you respond to this letter in the mail with either evidence that it's there or not? And then either you have the evidence and then you don't have to pay anything extra or you don't and you owe a few extra bucks. It's not this big invasive process. So that's just the movies. Bummer. Yeah, that being said, it does happen where you get audited sometimes. Mm. There's really two types of audits that, that matter. One, or they're, they're kind of different classes. And it's true of taxes in general is there's an audit if you're an employee. And then there's an audit if you're a business owner. Oh. If you're a business owner, then you've got all of your records. And it's critical that you've got receipts of everything, bank statements, documentation of what expense each, each expense was for, having a good set of books. On the employee side... Really, the deductions that you can take are your medical expenses, which even that, and we can talk, dive deeper into that, even that isn't as big of a deduction because there's a certain thresholds and limitations and most people don't hit that for medical expenses. And then there's your state income taxes and property taxes, which those are capped at 10000 a year. So those aren't huge. And then there's charitable deductions. And those are the ones that you do need documentation for if you get audited. You want, you need on, on the cash side, if there's anything that you give one charity more than $250, mm -hmm. 
they're required to provide a statement to you. So you just want to keep that. And it doesn't have to be the physical paper copy, right? It can be a picture that you take or scan the copy and put it into a folder. That's fine for documentation purposes. On the non-cash contribution side, it used to be just as long as you had the tag from Goodwill when you dropped it off at Goodwill and said seven bags of clothing, you know, household goods, et cetera, $450 value, that was fine. Now, because everyone has their smartphone, they, they say you don't have an excuse not to take a picture of what you're donating. So best, best practice is you get all the stuff out of your car, you load it, the guy on the loading dock gives you the ticket, you hold up the ticket with the date on it and snap a picture of your pile of goods. Oh. So that's okay. best, best practice. Now you're, you know, you're probably as an individual non-business owner, you've got maybe a quarter of a percent chance of being audited. It's super, super small. But that is best, best practice. On the business side of things, a lot of people ask me, is the bank statement enough for documentation? And the answer, unfortunately, is no, it's not. You still want a copy of the receipt. And the reason why is this. So you might say, well, I went and I filled up at the gas station. If it says gas station on my bank statement, isn't that obviously, you know, fuel? Well, if you get a nasty auditor who's super aggressive, they might say, well, hey, how did I know that that $60 wasn't you going in and buying two cases of beer and three bags of beef jerky? So having the receipt, especially again, because everyone has a smartphone, it's so easy to just snap a picture while you're there, you know, spending the money, just take a picture of that receipt where it says that it was actual fuel. And then you save it in your iCloud or if you have QuickBooks, if you're a business owner, there's an actual receipt scanning feature within the app on QuickBooks that saves it to that expense line item in your books and will scan the vendor and auto categorize it for you. So receipt copies are essential for a business owner. And then same thing on charitable contributions on the employee side of things. I need to start having a lot more photos of very normal average items in my phone. Yeah, there, yeah exactly. It's so easy to do as long as you do it in real time. I mean, going yeah. that one of the I actually wrote an article on Forbes about this is, you know, three ways to not hate tax time because most people just oh, tax time. They dread it because it's, you know, they think it's OK. I'm, this is when I'm meeting with my CPA. Let's get my shoebox of death of receipts, yep. you know, just that they've shoved in a corner all year long. And that's that is miserable. I would hate tax time, too, if that was what we had to do. But if just as you're doing it, you know, just take a picture, take a picture. And, you know, most photo apps that I know in you know, our phones, they date stamp it. So if you had to prove something, you could go scroll through by year and month and go find that when it was taken. And it's super easy. So yeah. then you don't have to worry about getting audited because you know that you've got your documentation. Great. Well, then let's actually go more into preparing for taxes. So we, we're touching on receipts now. So besides having them in your phone history, what are some other ways to keep yourself organized, stay up to date? Do you have any other tips with that? The easiest thing to do is try to opt to me, opt in to digital copies whenever possible. So instead of having them mail you copies, just try to go to your bank and for your mortgage interest statement, opt in for online statements. Then instead of having to you know scan it and sort it and do all that, you just can go log in, click download and save it to just one folder. That way you can do, because most CPAs now these days just 
they, they send you a portal and an upload to link. It's not an envelope where you shove a bunch of stuff into an envelope and then mail it off. And so the more you can opt into the digital copies, it's going to make it cleaner, clearer copies. It's going to make it easier for your accountant to do, to prep your work, and they'll be more excited to work with you. Um, and then just as you get them, just, you know, if, if they are paper copies, just sort it all right away. It's, it's, it's just like with taking the pictures of the receipts. It's easier by the bottle than by the keg, right? So just do it right now a little bit to take two minutes, sort it away rather than just throwing it in your junk drawer and then having to dig through and, you know, you're looking for it along with your pocket knife and, you know, whatever else you got in there and trying to find that statement that the accountant's asking for. Yeah. Can you go over what those other documents are? I know, like I said, there's a bunch of different squares with fields and numbers and things. What exactly are these forms? I'm they're, yeah. they're probably very obvious, but what exactly are they? Yeah. So the one that most people know about is their W-2, which is if they're, if you're an employee, the W-2 is the wages that you earned this last year, plus the withholdings so that we know how much you're going to calculate, whether you're going to get money back or owe at tax time. Uh, and then there's a whole variety of 1099 forms. And I'll go through kind of what the common ones that you see in 1099s are. There's a 1099 INT, which is interest income. So your, your bank sent an interest income. There's 1099 DIV, which is dividend income. So if you own stocks and they paid, a, paid you a dividend, or if you have a checking account or a savings account that pays you money, that's usually, that's a dividend that they'll pay you. Uh, and then 1099, it used to be 1099 MISC. Now it's NEC, so non-employee compensation. That's like if you're an independent contractor or just earning gig, gig money or you know, doing rides on Uber or on DoorDash, you get a 1099 NEC. And then 1099 miscellaneous has like rent income on it if you earn any rent income. So those are the kind of the common 1099 forms. Oh, and then the last one is 1099R for retirement income. So that if you had any distributions out of a retirement account, that would be a 1099 R. Uh, and then 1098 is for interest paid. So that's like if you own a home and your mortgage company sends you the amount that you paid in mortgage interest to deduct in your itemized deductions, that's a 1098. So those are the most common forms that you see. And then occasionally if you sold stocks in a year, you'll get a 1099B. And that's, that's definitely becoming a hotter topic lately. So yes, definitely. Start seeing those more. So, and crypto is treated like a stock sale. I'm not a crypto expert by any means, but a lot of people ask. That's going to be a whole separate episode. Yeah, that's yeah. That's that's a whole different specialty. But it's treated like if you sell it. So if you've been buying and selling Bitcoin on this whole crazy ride these last couple of months, uh, then every time you sell it, you've got to report what you paid for it and the sales price and the amount you sold it for on your tax return. So you mentioned, you know, working as an independent contractor and then, you know, we've kind of talked about the other paperwork that's the regular like employee. What are the pros and cons when it comes to taxes with that? Is is working as an independent contractor better or worse when it comes to what money you get to keep versus being an employee? Yeah, so better better or worse from taxes and better or worse from just life in general. I'll take those as two separate questions okay. because there's a whole different set of responsibilities and, you know, challenges of running your own business and risks of running your own business. So that's a personal decision on if it's, you know, whereas an employee, 
yes, it's it's work, but you know you're going to get a paycheck every time you show up, right? But on the on the tax side of things, they really are two different tax codes. So there's two different tax codes in the United States. One is for employees, and that is there's really one correct answer on your tax return. You have your income, you know, you might itemize and you can put a little extra money, give, give some extra dollars to charity. You can buy a home or you don't have to buy a home. Um, you can put money into an HSA and max out your 401k. And that's really all you can do as, as an employee on a tax planning side of things. As a business owner, there's a whole new tax. It's, it's like, like the, what I mentioned on, you could stand across the room if we printed it out and shoot me and it wouldn't pierce the, you know, pierce through the tax code. That's all, almost all for business owners. And the reason, and so there's a lot more we can do. And that's actually why our firm works only with business owners, because there's so much technology out there with your tax return as an employee, having one correct answer, go use TurboTax or HR Block or whatever. You, you don't need to go buy, a, you know, pay for a CPA unless you just really want to sleep at night because you just, or don't, it's really, really painful for you to do it. On the business owner side of things, there's so much you can do to lower your taxes. You know, buying vehicles and getting 100% deduction on a large vehicle, getting your kids on the payroll. If you have kids under 18, you can get $12,400 tax-free. You can rent your home out to your corporation for a monthly shareholder board meeting and get five or $6,000 tax-free. Getting your, all your cell phone bills and your, your internet and making your vacations deductible as a business trip are things that you can do to lower your tax bill. So there's so many things you can do as a business owner to impact your taxes. And if you are a business owner and you're not working with a CPA, I guarantee you're throwing money away. Mm-hmm. We had a, actually, he's a good friend of mine now, but he was a, started a business and over a, a two year period, it took off and he had a profit of like a million bucks and he was still doing his return on TurboTax. And he was trying to get a loan and his lenders wouldn't give him a loan because it was on TurboTax self-prepared and his income had skyrocketed. So he said, go talk to Tyler. And we did. <laughs> and he ended up, it was like two to $300,000 tax savings after we met. So there's such a huge array of opportunity you have for tax planning. Your CPA, if you're a business owner, your CPA should be a profit center for you. A sole proprietor. Is mm-hmm. that being a business owner, but really just for yourself? So a sole proprietor is you're a business owner, but you don't have a legal entity set up. You are a 1099 earner, basically. The downside is on that, you have to pay what's called self-employment tax. And that's your portion of social security and Medicare as a self-employed individual. So when you're an employee working for the man, you know, you look at your pay stub and let's say you make 50 grand a year or 5,000 a month. When you look at your pay stub, you're not taking home 5,000 a month. Right. So if you look at that stub, there's an amount taken out for income tax and then, and then social security and Medicare. Well, that social security and Medicare combined is about seven and a half percent of your total pay. Then your employer matches that and sends 15% to the IRS. And that's what's called payroll tax. When you're a sole proprietor, just starting out a business and this really can hurt you and is a big surprise the first year you start making some real money, there's no one to withhold that half, seven and a half percent, There's no, and there's no one to match the other half. But the IRS still wants their 15%, right? Okay. So you're left holding the bag for that 15% on top of income tax, 
on the first $130,000 of net income on your business. So if you make 60 grand a year, that's an extra almost 10 grand in taxes on top of income tax, which is a huge chunk that you probably weren't planning on when it comes to tax time, especially if you're used to having withholdings taken out of your paycheck and getting a nice refund. Yeah. Now it's the opposite. And it's a big old surprise because you weren't setting that money aside. Yep. Okay. Now I remember why taxes are so confusing. So when, <laughs> <laughs> so you can write stuff off, you know, still as a sole proprietor, even though there's money that you have to give that you wouldn't have to as an employee. Is it hard to do these write-offs? I know you kind of touched on this, but when do you need a CPA versus when it's easy enough to do it on your own? What would you say? Yeah. You know, I think if you're running a business that's a hobby, then do it on your own. Like if you're a photographer and you take some pictures for your friends as a side business, you know, or you just truly have like a hobby that makes you a couple grand a year and you don't ever plan on turning it into a full-fledged business, then something like a TurboTax would be just fine. Like, I don't think it's worth necessarily worth the money there. If you're wanting to turn this into a full-fledged business where you want, it's going to be your source of income, then I think day one is when you talk to a CPA. Okay. It's actually, I was at a, a business event and I got to see Mr. Wonderful speak uh, from Shark Tank. Cool. Yeah. And we got to do some Q and I got to ask him a question and I asked him a question about my business and explained that I was a, a CPA. And he said, oh man, if you could systemize that and bring that to the entire like nation of small businesses, you'd have something special. Because when I'm talking with my businesses and my potential investors, the very first dollar we spend is on a good account. And so from the mouth of Mr. Wonderful is if you're truly turning this into a business before you open, you should be meeting with a CPA. So if you've got an idea and you're committed to doing this, you've burned your boats, you're doing this thing, whether you've opened your door or not, I think sooner the better so that you can have the proper entity structure and bookkeeping and accounting software and systems in place so that you're doing it right from the very beginning. Even if it's a month, if you know you're opening your business in three months, I'd start, I'd talk with them today. Okay. So that you can have it in place. So let's say we're not starting like a whole new business. Maybe we're just, you know, that, that passion project or, you know, mm -hmm. we're just trying to get our taxes done as a normal person. What's the difference between like TurboTax and QuickBooks? Is so, it, they might be completely different. I actually don't know if that's a dumb question. Actually, they are, they are completely different. So I'm glad, oh, good. I'm glad you asked. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're the same company, though. They're both owned oh. by Intuit. Yeah. So they're, they're the yeah. same. So, so QuickBooks and, and TurboTax are the same company. Uh, oh. it's, a, it's a big company. So um, TurboTax is the software you use to file your tax returns. Oh. QuickBooks okay. is where you do your accounting records. So you're got books. it. So TurboTax, you only need to do when it comes time to file your taxes. Right, once a year. Yeah, exactly. And got then books okay. you should be doing on an ongoing basis. That's where you're sending all those pictures of your, of your, exactly. And, and your you link up session. your bank accounts, you're importing your expenses and doing all that. You're reconciling your bank account, which means pulling up the bank statement, pulling up your books, making sure they match. So there's no errors. Uh, and doing that on an, on an ongoing basis. And that's how you see how much money you're actually making. Because most people just, they, they manage by their business by bank account. Every morning when they, you know, they pour their coffee and they log into the bank account. And if there's money in there, they spend money. And if there's no money in there, then they don't spend money or they put it on a credit card. Mm -hmm. So what you want to do is have your QuickBooks set up and you're updating that on a regular basis. So you know what bills you've sent out, what money you can expect to come in, what money 
you owe to vendors and have to pay over the next 30 days. And you're actually monitoring your cash flow that way. So that's yeah. what QuickBooks does. It's your financials for your business. Right. So keeping that as a regular routine, along with brushing your teeth, just kind of checking in on that all the time. Yes, definitely. Uh, okay. So, you know, kind of going back to what TurboTax's purpose is, taxes, we always hear are due April 15th. That's like the day. When are you supposed to start your taxes? Just once those those uh, tax forms start coming in in like January, February or when? Yeah. General rule of thumb, if you usually get a refund, you want to, you're filing as early as possible so you can get that money. And if you typically owe, then what I find is people put it off as long as possible and <laughs> file extensions and then end up filing the returns sometime in September or October. To me, getting it out of the way is, you know, it doesn't, it's still, if you owe taxes, it's due on April 15th, no matter what, even if you do file an extension. So you might as well get it going. I can tell you that if you do, if you do work with a CPA, that they will appreciate you getting things in earlier and will like you as a client a whole lot better because you're responsive and, you know, allow us to work on things before the crush of it's April 1st. Can I send you my documents and get my return done by tomorrow type of thing? You know, we don't want that. So this, the earlier, the better. And then if you're someone who does get refunds, especially if you're in a bracket where you get an earned income tax credit or an education credit or a child tax credit, those are three commonly fraudulently filed return types of credits. What I mean by that is someone might steal your identity and then file a fake return and then have the refund routed into their account. Mm -hmm. And so the sooner you file your return to get that, the less likelihood that you have identity theft happening. And then also returns that have those credits on them, the IRS looks at a little closer. So instead of getting your refund in two weeks, it might take six or eight weeks to get with those. So oh. getting that ball rolling sooner is, is better. Sooner than later. God. Yes. Well, now that we're a little bit more comfortable with understanding what that is, maybe we'll be a little more comfortable with getting our taxes done sooner than go. the last minute. <laughs> <laughs> well, they say the only guarantees in life are death and taxes. And since we have to deal with taxes, thank you so much for being someone that helped us understand them. Uh, for those that want to continue learning more, where can people find you? Yeah, so I'm most active on Instagram, and it's just my name, at Tyler McBroom. I post daily tax tips over there, things like how to write your vacations off and make them business trips, yeah. how to get your kids on the payroll, all of that. If you go to my podcast, Tax Savers University. And then if you want, I've just got a brand new book out. It's called Cash Flow and Grow. It's more for business owners, but it's all the financial habits and routines to help make your business more profitable and also pay less at tax time. So it's 10 bucks and thousands of dollars of you know profit ideas in there. So if they want to check that out as well, that would be great. That's awesome. Any way to save on that money, I think it's worth checking out. Absolutely. And I definitely need to know, okay, because I know we talked about the deductions and write-offs and things like that, but like to actually how to do it, I'm in, I'm in for it. So I'll be <laughs> checking that out. All awesome. right. So I know this topic has been very taxing. <laughs> <laughs> got to throw that in. But we got through. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in and we will tax return for another episode next week. Bye. I hope this episode helped. Please subscribe, rate, and review to support the podcast. 
and follow along for more hacks, tips, and failed attempts on Instagram at How Did I Get This Far Pod. Well, that's as far as we will get for now. I'm Amanda Ogan. Thanks for listening.